0: Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. All right. We're back at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Beginning in verse 22, Art was reminding me, that we began the book of Ephesians last January. Um, Now, I haven't been every Sunday in Ephesians. There have been some breaks. Matter of fact, we just took about a month break during the month of December. But uh, we've been in Ephesians for a while. We're gonna be in it for a little while longer. Just kind of walking through it slowly. I really do believe that if you had to pick one book of the New Testament to give you a complete overview of the Christian life, who God is, who Jesus is, How salvation comes and how we are to walk and live. There's not a better book in the entire New Testament than the book of Ephesians. That doesn't mean the others are bad. They're all great. There's just so much packed in to these six chapters. So we've been unpacking it as we go along. If you remember, and I'm not going to preach through all of it, just to give you a quick overview. Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians give us this picture of who God is how much he has loved us, his plan for us, that we are chosen and the beloved, all of the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ, all of the spiritual blessing that is ours. He goes through all of that. He talks about the fact that he loved us so much that he has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Paul then, in the end of chapter one, he begins to give thanks for this and to pray. And he's praised that the eyes of our heart would, would be enlightened, we'd be able to see all that God has done for us, and keeps on doing for us. Chapter two, he talks about how this salvation comes to us by faith. It comes to us by grace, through faith, and we receive the salvation that Christ has paid for. He keeps on going through that chapter and talks about unity that we have. In chapter three, he, he continues on this whole process of this miraculous power at work within you and me. He gets to the end of chapter 3, and he says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, more than you and I could ever imagine. He's able to do because of the power that's at work in us. What power is at work in us? Christ, but we call him who? The Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ, it is the Holy Spirit It is God, the Holy Spirit, at work in you and me, able to do what we could never do. So the first three chapters talk about that. We get to chapter four. Chapter four talks about this thing called the church and the unity that he wants us to have. That this is the body of Christ on planet Earth. We are a picture. We are a demonstration of what the kingdom looks like when the kingdom of heaven looks like right here on planet Earth. He wants us to understand that though we are unique, there is still unity. We're unique because of the giftings that he he gives to us. We're not the same. We're very different. And yet, because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us, there is a unity, even though there's a uniqueness. He gets to verse 17 in chapter 4, and he says, Now, You're not one of the Gentiles. Now, unfortunately, in this room, most of us are Gentiles. All right? Very few of us are Jews. He doesn't mean Jew and Gentile in that sense. He says, you are not those who don't know Jesus. You know Jesus. You have relationship with Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God dwells within you. That's who you are. You're not like those who do not know, who do not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. But because you have Christ in you, because you are changed, transformed, because you have the spiritual blessing. You live differently. Your lives look different. You don't look the same. There needs to be a marked contrast between those who know Jesus and those who don't. People should be able to pick us out. Now, in my tradition, in my growing up, We've, we interpreted that verse to mean, okay, so we got a bunch of things we do and a bunch of things we don't do, and people are going to know we're Christian because of all the things we do and all the things that we don't do. And you probably grew up in a Christian environment somewhere that had your own list. Every, every group's got their own list. I grew up, and I've, i shared this with you before. You don't, you don't drink, smoke, chew, go with girls that do. All right. That was the list. Um, Again, not that there's anything biblical about that list. It's just what I, it was an easy way to remember. And it, it was a number of the things that we weren't allowed to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's how we identified. That's the way we thought we were going to identify ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I'm going to give you some that go way deeper than that. I'm going to give you some illustrations. He starts in verse 22. And this is where we're going to pick up this morning reading again. He says, I want you to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, the interesting thing about this is we are saved by grace. We don't earn it. And we're not doing this in our own power and strength, but he's already told us. We have a supernatural, we have God's strength at work within us, and we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit in putting off and putting on. He says, you're putting off the old, the way the old thinks, the way the old live, the the desires of the old were deceitful. You're putting those things off. You're putting on the new that's clothed in righteousness. We're 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 putting one thing off, we're putting another. We're being transformed, being renewed in the spirit of our minds. What we believe What we count on is changing. What we bank on is changing. We think differently. And because we think differently, we live differently. This is the simple, just a simple explanation of what the Apostle Paul is saying. This transformation is always going on. We're putting off. We're putting on. We're being changed in what we think, what we believe. How does this happen? Well, let me ask you. How did you get saved? What was the process? You believed by faith, right? What did you believe? You believed the truth that you had not seen prior to that, but now you see. There was revelation. There was truth that came to you. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes. He did what Paul prayed for, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. He prayed that same prayer is going on now, and it happened in my life. Someone praying for me that my eyes would be open, and I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm lost without Jesus Christ I couldn't save myself that truth came I believed it I received it by faith now how do I continue on putting off the old man and putting on the new man the same way the same exact way by faith Colossians 2 says as you have come to know Christ so walk in him So the same way you came to Jesus Christ by faith, you now walk in him by faith. The message I have for you this morning is a simple message, but not an easy one. It's very simple, but not easy. Paul begins to give us some examples of what this looks like, this transformation of how we think. And he goes at some very key areas. And we already looked at these, we're not going to cover them again. In verse 25, he says, we put on truth. We put off falsehood and lying. All right? This is part of who Jesus is. He's not worried about whether I drink, smoke, or chew. As much as he is, is it truth or falsehood that comes out of my mouth and permeates my heart and life? He wants to know, are we walking in truth? Are we believing truth? Are we speaking truth? So he deals with this truth versus falsehood versus lying. Then in verse 26... He deals with anger and resentment and bitterness, which usually goes with anger. He's saying you can be angry and not sin, but most of the time the anger that we experience is sin because it's attached with bitterness and resentment. Uh, Righteous anger leads me to cry out on behalf of the person who hurt me or offended me or damaged me in some way. It causes me to cry out that Jesus would do for them what I want him to do for me. All right. It doesn't have resentment and bitterness attached to it. There's a there's a grace at work in that kind of anger. That kind of righteous anger. Most of my anger doesn't look like that. And he's saying, this is what's being put off. So we're lying, we're not lying. We're telling the truth. There's putting off this falsehood, putting on truth. Putting off bitterness and resentment putting on this forgiveness and peace that comes and a willingness to pray, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, pray for your enemies, pray for those who spitefully use you, those who persecute you, those who want to hurt you and harm you. And then he gets to this third one, in verse 28, what we're going to look at today. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here's the simple truth of this passage. The Lord's coming after fear and greed, and he's saying, I want you to put them off. Fear and greed, I want you to put off. Fear in the sense of, will I have enough? How many of you, on a fairly regular basis, see some commercial come on your TV about financial investment or the future, and you immediately think, Am I prepared for the future? I mean, what is this all? Anybody ever have that thought besides me? Matter of fact, I never watch one of them without thinking, we're going to be broke, penniless, on the street. All right? Every time I watch one of them, I think, we are, we are not going to make it. We, we're going to be begging. You know, and be like, telling, more please. You know, it's just, that's, that's what often these things create. There's a fear. There won't be enough. Or, this is also the flip side of that coin Or there's just never enough I always want more I always we live in a culture that's based on you and me always wanting something else and going after it it's fear and greed it's this desire to have and have and once I get that that's fine but now I want to go to the next thing because that doesn't satisfy anymore and then I, I liked, you know, I liked my new phone that I just got until Mike came and he's got a newer, better phone. And now I don't like my phone, which by the way, this is not an issue for me because I'm still using the old one. I'd still use a flip phone if they would service it. But anyway, um, the reality is there's always something else. There's always more. And it stirs within us this, I want that. I want that. Oh, that car is nice. That house is nice. That vacation is nice. That, you know, the, that clothing. Those clo- I like those clothes. I like that jewelry. I like that stuff. It's always there. And by the way, you say, well, I don't really like stuff. These things, this fear and greed show up in other ways as well. I find as Americans, there are two areas where we tend to be fearful or greedy, and where we really feel like we have control of, and no one gets to tell us what to do. You can't tell me what to do with my money, and you can't tell me what to do with my time. And we fight for them. Sometimes I'm greedy with my time. Sometimes I'm fearful because if I give time here, there won't be enough for this or that. This goes beyond just money, although stuff affects us. Because I think maybe more than anywhere else in the world, stuff affects us. He's saying, let the thief steal no more. He said, well, Troy, I'm not a thief. The reality is, if you and I have ever taken something that didn't belong to us, we're a thief. Ever stolen something that didn't belong to you? No, I never have. Never? Never taken, not given your employer what was due in time or energy or effort. Ever not claim something because you're self-employed and you could get away with it? Ever stolen time that God wanted you to invest in someone else? And it's like, I don't have time for that. Never? See, this becomes the thing that that challenges me when I begin to look at this I read that and think Lord I'm not a thief and he says do you ever take anything or hold back anything that I ask for if you do you're stealing take something that doesn't rightly belong to you he goes on he says let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor not just any labor. Doing honest work. The kind of work you do matters to the Lord. The original language literally says, let him work that which is good. Let him do the good work. God does care what you do. He doesn't just care that you work, but he cares about the kind of work that you do. Is it a righteous work? Let him work, labor with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here are the three things that you have to know about this. There is stealing to have there is working to have and there's working to give and the Lord says that when we put off the old man the old man steals to have and works to have you say wait a second there's nothing wrong with it. no it's not work is God ordained but if you work for the purpose of having not giving you're still caught up in the old man and the way he thinks Work is not for the purpose of consuming. It is for the purpose of being able to meet our basic needs and to give. We steal to have, we work to have, or we work to give. Now, there's a lot of ways. If I sat down and had personal conversations with everyone in this room, we all have different situations. I am not saying that God doesn't want to provide for your needs. He does. He wants to provide for your needs. He wants you to be able to eat, have a place to sleep. He wants you to be able to take care of basic necessities in your life, in my life, in your life. So I'm not talking about that. But here's the reality, is that by and large, American culture is very good at work, but we often work so that we can just have more that we want. I don't like I don't like this provision. I want that provision. I don't like this particular technology. I want that technology. I don't like this home. I want that home. I don't like I don't like my wardrobe. I get a different wardrobe. I don't I I worked hard. As a matter of fact, it's a phrase you hear often. I worked hard. I deserve it. Do you? Do I? Really? Working hard's not bad. Working for the purpose of consuming is still part of that old man, that old way of doing life. And the Apostle Paul's saying, "Put it off. Work that you may have that you have something to share with anyone in need. You say, Troy, what's the balance in that? I wish I knew. <laughs> I don't know. I, I take that back. I do know. It's not an easy answer, but I'll give it to you anyway, because Ephesians already gave it to us. The power at work within you. That's how you know. That's how you know. The Holy Spirit tells you, remember my... Remember my story last week that you all got so much enjoyment out of, my pain, where I mistreated that young man in the parking lot at Walmart? Um, You guys need to put off the old man, all right? Um, But I knew in that moment, because of the power of the Spirit at work within me, I didn't start off at the right place, but I ended up getting there. I knew the Holy Spirit speaking to me, because I don't normally give people in parking lots at Walmart anything other than a hard time. Um... And so I knew the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, give to him. And I thought, well, Lord, I don't ever carry any cash. I happened to have a little bit of cash that day. Give to him. I know. There have, been, there have been dozens, maybe hundreds of other times where people have asked me for something, and I didn't have that same prompting. I had a person approach me out here in the parking lot one day. I was walking out, a young man. And I walked out the door as he pulled up. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, he's going to ask you for money. Do not give it to him. I mean, it was just that clear. So he walked up to me and he started telling me his story and I listened and the whole deal and he's going through the whole thing and then he asked me for money and I said, you know what, I I, want to pray for you and I care about the fact where you're at, but can I tell you what just happened to me? I walked out the door. And as I looked over and you pulled into the driveway, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in this not a little audible voice, but just a prompting inside. And he said, you were going to ask me for something and I wasn't supposed to give it to you. I don't even know why he told me I wasn't supposed to give it. Maybe you know why he told me I wasn't supposed to give it to you because I don't know. Do you know? Well, he got angry. He was not happy with all that. And he began to tell me how I was not a Christian. And I didn't look like a Christian and all that. And I just smiled and said, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I really would like to pray for you. But I, I am a Christian. And because I'm a Christian, I must listen to what the Holy Spirit tells me. I don't have a choice. I am servant to him. And uh, so there are times, I'm not telling you that this principle means you're going to give money to every person who comes up and asks you for money. But it does say that our mindset, the way we think, changes. I no longer work to earn, to save and store up or buy or consume for myself. I now work and meet basic needs for myself and my family. And I'm looking for opportunities when God gives more than what my basic needs are. I'm looking for ways to give. I'm looking for where he wants to invest that. I told you this is not a hard message, not a, simple, not a difficult message, but it is a hard one to receive. It's very simple. Now, let me give you a couple things, and trying to walk this out for a lot of years, let me give you a couple things that I found helpful, and then we're going to be done. Number one, I asked Lori this question last night. If you're going to trust the Lord and walk by faith in your finances, what's the most important thing that she's learned in in all these years? I ask her that question. I ask you that question. What's the most important thing that you learn? As she was thinking about that, she said, I think for me it's learning how to overcome the fear that it might not be enough. Really that trusting God might not work out. It was honest. It's an honest answer. Anybody else ever have that thought? That trusting God might not work out? I agree with her. I think it is a key, vital starting place. We've got to wrestle with whether or not we really are going to believe God. Let me ask you. Can you finish this this very famous verse. I will never leave, I heard I say it, never leave you or forsake you. Anybody know where it is? Where? Anybody know where it says in Hebrews? I heard somebody say Hebrews. Anybody got to narrow it down there? Hebrews 13, I think I heard somebody say, Hebrews thirteen five. I don't know that we have it on the overhead, but if you want to look at it, do you know how that verse starts? See, we know we, I will never let. Man, I love that promise. Man, I'm gonna quote that promise. I'm gonna believe that promise. Jesus, thank you for that promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. What does the first part of the verse say? Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what man can do to me the place that you're going to have to start (coughs) excuse me the place that you will have to start is this transformation I'm getting an amen back there is this transformation They're young enough right now, they just trust and believe. See, we're older, it's harder. (laughs) And by the way, folks, I'm not talking to you about theory. Lori and I were talking last night and looking back over the 25 years that we've been married. And I am astounded at the amount of resources that God has allowed to flow through our hands to other people and to other needs and other ministries. I'm astounded. And yet I can tell you today, after 25 years, that every time the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, I want you to give this, I still struggle with it. I still struggle with it. I have seen him. I have seen him prove himself faithful over and over and over again. And and I thought, well, Lord, you did that, but that was a small thing. You know, that was that was a fifty-dollar thing, or that was a hundred thing. I've seen him be faithful in hundreds of thousands of dollars. But every time he speaks, there's that voice that says, "Wait a second, you're getting older. You know, you're not young like you once were. You gotta, be, you gotta be smart about this. You gotta trust. Yeah, we do trust God, right?" In this God we trust. It's right there on our currency. <laughs> That's not what it says, by the way. It says, in God we trust. But it really should, for most of us, say, in this God we trust. You and I will have to start at the place to say, Lord, change what I believe. I will believe you and you're going to have to keep coming back to this place if you're going to walk out life this way you're going to have to keep coming back to the place Lord I believe that you will never you will never leave me or forsake me I'm going to have to fight against loving money or loving what I think money is going to provide for me and I'm going to have to trust you here are a couple other things that I have found helpful in this journey number one Ask the Lord to make you aware of where you are discontent. Ask him to make you aware of where you're discontent. I find that we often spend money out of a place of discontentment. And we don't even recognize it. Ask him to show you. And ask him to begin to do this transformational work. And that you're going to cooperate with him to learn how to be content. Paul said, I've learned in every situation. I've got, I have much, I have nothing. I've learned to be content." Either way, by the way, you don't, you're not born with contentment, you learn it. Paul didn't say I was born with contentment, that's why I'm better than you at this. No. He said, I've learned to be content. I've learned it. I'll share with you another where the Lord began early on in my life to test me which is will I trust God regularly in giving not just an occasional sort of thing but a regular whenever I have increase in my life that I'll be a giver I'll remind myself that everything I have belongs to God none of it's mine some would say well you give a tithe tithing really is an Old Testament it's where it's introduced in the Old Testament And it's more than 10%, actually, if you study it all out, but we're not going to go there today. But if you get to the New Testament, it's not 10%, it's 100%. It all belongs to God. Every bit of it. It's not like, well, God, I'm going to give you 10, and I'm going to do whatever I want. No, it all belongs to Him. But I would tell you this, that tithing has been something that God has used in my life. You say, oh, please don't talk about tithing. Some of you who tithe say, please don't talk about it because other people, they don't like that. I don't like it either, all right? Let's just be honest. Nobody likes to talk about it. And I'm not talking about it because we need money. Lord provides. He's very faithful in that. But I want to be a faithful minister of the gospel to you. And I have found in my own life that this regular, consistent way of saying, God, God, I thank you for what you've provided and I'm giving this back to you as a reminder to me that it all belongs to you. Every bit of it. By the way, as we shared last week in that passage about Abraham, tithing is not law. It happened 400, it was instituted 400 years before the law. Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. By the way, people say, well, it's not in the New Testament. If tithing were in the New Testament, I would believe it. Then get ready to believe it. Matthew 23, 23. Write it down. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus, he goes to the Pharisees and he says, You guys are so diligent. You're so diligent, you tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin. In other words, you worry about the smallest little detail to make sure you follow the letter of the law. There's no heart in it, there's no faith in it, but you make sure you do this. But he says, The weightier matters justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. You don't even pay any attention to those. He said, you should have done those, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and don't leave the other undone, which is what? Tithing. (coughs) Tithing is always a test. Always. Always. It's always a test. I've shared this before. I'll never forget. But by the way, I believe the Lord will work in our lives and bring us to a point where we start with this baseline of tithing, but He wants us to be givers over and above. I remember when God was working on that one, Lord and I, because we were tithing. We were tithing as a young couple, and we were tithing. We didn't we didn't have much. Matter of fact, it felt like we had way way less than at least on paper than what we needed but saying, so, you know we're going to tithe part of it i did because i was made to do it growing up and god was going to be mad if i didn't and and again i don't want you to tithe that way god's not mad whether you tithe he's not poor okay he's not broke he's not a, he's not looking at his checkbook and saying you got to get it together are we are this the ship's gonna sink he's not He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. The universe is his. He doesn't need your or my tithe. You think, well, great. Then I'm not going to give it to him. But here's the problem. It's not him that needs it. It's you that needs it. Because the faith that he works, there are adventures in faith you will never experience until you learn to be a giver. I just promise you, you just will not experience. That doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean that God can't bless you. It doesn't mean any of that. It simply means there are adventures in faith. And I believe that with all my heart. You will not experience until you learn to be a giver. And by the way, some of you are saying, Troy, you, if I showed you my checkbook right now, if I showed you my bank account, you'd realize I cannot afford to tithe. I get that. I get there are difficult situations and we all, I would tell you this though, you cannot afford not to have faith. So, and, and some might disagree with me, but I often tell people, start somewhere. If you can't do anything but give a dollar, then you start there and say, Lord, I'm just giving this by faith because I recognize it all comes from you and I am grateful for the increase and Lord, I believe that, I believe that your word teaches more. I want to grow in this, but Lord, I'm going to start here. I'm going to start here. I'm going to believe you here today in this place now if you give and then you think great I gave and you go all week thinking I'm going to win the lottery this week they're going to show up with one of those big checks from Publisher's Clearinghouse at my door you probably will not continue giving if you give that way because it fosters the very thing that Paul says we want to get rid of which is the greed you don't give to get you just give to give why because God's a giver he's a giver God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. There's so many things. I could literally go all afternoon. I could tell you story after story of God's faithfulness and his provision. I could also tell you stories. Matter of fact, I should probably tell you these stories because you, there have been times when the Lord and I have given and then everything in the house broke. <laughs> everything. A number of years ago, the largest gift we had, God really began to stir in us for Jewish evangelism. And the gospel is to the Jew first. And I'd never really been stirred that way. And so we were stirred. And the largest gift that we had ever given up to that point in our life, we gave to Jewish evangelism. The next week, our air conditioner, washer, and dryer all broke in the same week. All of them. I thought, Lord, you're supposed to rebuke the devourer for me. This is not good rebuking. Let me show you what rebuking looks like. This is not rebuking. (laughs) All right? So I am not up here preaching prosperity to you because we have given and not immediately seen that there was a lot of financial retribution going on there. But I can tell you this. With a broken air conditioner, in fact, we had to replace, put a new air conditioner in and a new washer and dryer. But I watched God provide for all of those things in supernatural ways over the next year. I was amazed. I was amazed. I promise you something. You do not want to get to the end of your life and not have adventures in faith that you can tell your children and your grandchildren. You do not want to. You want to be able to sit with them. I'm looking forward to grandchildren in multiple ways. Not soon. Where are my kids? Not right now, but I'm looking forward to grandkids. I get to have them over. I can tell them these stories then I can send them back home to mom and dad after, after pumping them full of chocolate, milk, and sugar. All right? Amen. 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 <coughs> Adventures in faith. And by the way, I don't want to get to a certain age and think, well, I trusted God here, but now I have to work it out myself. There's so much. Thank you. Let me challenge you. You know I love you. Church, you know I love you. I do not preach often at all. I rarely ever talk about money. Probably that's my own hang up. But part of it is I've often felt like Abraham. I never wanted anyone to say, well, the reason that you have this or the reason that you're able to do that is because you talk about money all the time and you're always pumping the people for money. And so as a reaction to that in my own heart, I often don't talk about it when I should talk about it. The finance team has told me that before it's like pastor it might be helpful if you let folks know what's going on but i don't usually because i believe we can go to god that god's work done in god's way will never lack god's supply i believe that with all of my heart i don't know how he's going to do it i don't know how it'll all work out but i believe that his work done his way will never lack his supply I want all of you to taste and see that he's good. Amen. Not just a few. We could have people come up here and share testimony, and they would tell you story after story how they saw God's faithfulness in their life. I don't want that to be a few, I want it to be all. Everybody's story is different, how God's working is different. One of the things that we will offer for you, and this is also valuable. Learning how to live within your means and dealing with contentment. These are huge things in our life. And there will be resources later this year. Um, I think there's talk of Peace University and other things. There are tools out there that help you. Um, how do you live within your means? How do you budget? Budget is not a dirty word, even though sometimes we feel like it is. How do you do these things? And some simple tools. To be able, it's interesting. My wife is one of the most frugal people I know. But here a number of years ago, she got, it was free from Dave Ramsey, uh, every dollar. And you can go online and it helps you track every dollar that you spend. So she'd do that and look at it. And it's amazing when you come back and think, do you realize that we're spending this on this and this on this? And sometimes we don't even know what we're spending on. And plastic doesn't help. Because you just spend it. You know, if you had to pay cash for everything, you'd notice it a whole lot more. But plastic somehow lessens the pain until the end of the month. (laughs) Then there's a lot of pain. So there are tools. I don't want to just throw this out there on you and say, you know, be warmed and filled and go on your way. There are tools to help you in learning how to do this and, and practical financial matters in your life. But none of that matters if you don't start with a place that says, God, I'm going to trust you I want to not steal to get to have. And I don't want to work to have. I want to work so I can be a giver. I want to be transformed. I want to be a giver. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, help us. realize that in this room Lord there are all kinds of financial situations and this message today really isn't primarily about money though it feels like it it's primarily about faith it's an interesting thing Lord in my own life to think I can trust you with my eternity but I can't trust you with the here and now Lord I want to trust you with it all eternity and now Lord, help us. Help us not be foolish or fleshly in our thought process. Lord, protect us from extremes where we would, again, because of wrong doctrine or bad advice, where we would do things that don't really look like the new man that don't look like you. But at the same time, Lord, help us realize that trusting you and walking by faith will probably put us at odds with conventional wisdom. Lord, help us find that balance. Holy Spirit, guide us. Make us so sensitive to hear your voice and then to obey. Lord, if we love money, show us. love money. Show us where we love it. Reveal that to us. Lord, if, if we're judgmental and think if other people worked as hard or were as diligent as me, they'd have more. Lord, if we have those kind of attitudes, deliver us from judgmentalism. cause us to believe that sometimes we're in places that we didn't choose, sometimes we're in difficult places and they're of our own making and you still have mercy and grace for us that today for someone could be a new day, a new beginning despite what's gone on in the past cause us to testify to your greatness and your goodness and how we have seen you be faithful over and over and over again Lord make me a giver I want to be more of a giver than I've ever been I want to be more like you give at your prompting immediately without reservation. I pray that for each one in this room. Make us givers. Not just with our resources, but Lord with our time. With our energy. That's a precious commodity. Lord, I want to be a giver there too. Help us. our awareness of the areas and the, the people, the ministries, the things where you'd have us give. There's a lot of work that you're doing out there, even beyond what's happening here at LifePoint. Give us eyes to see and hearts that are stirred. david that the righteous would not be forsaken and their seed would not be begging bread lord we take you at your word that you can be trusted and lord right now we give ourselves as an offering and everything else we have comes right along with it we give